to the City on a Hill Church Forest Hills podcast. We exist to see our neighbors from every culture follow Jesus as King. We're glad you're here and thanks for listening. More information about the life and mission of City on a Hill can be found at coahforesthills.org. Last week, we began a a long journey through the book of Genesis, right at the beginning of the Bible. So this will be the easiest book you ever have to find in the Bible. Just pick up your Bible and go to like page one. It's right at the beginning. Uh, And so we are starting a very important series through uh, the book of Genesis because Genesis tells us a lot about why we are here. All of us are trying to answer that question, why am I here? Why do I exist? What, what am I on earth for? And last week we began to look at that, that we were created by God. The very beginning of the chapter talks about in the beginning, God. God created us to know him and he created us to experience and enjoy him. And so the entire book of Genesis is first pointing us towards God, the God who created us. So our very being, who we are, is wrapped up in who God is. The reason that we are here is to know God and to enjoy God. And so last week we talked about how creation shows us the power of God, the the beauty of God and the purpose of God. And all of these things are meant to turn our eyes towards God. They're meant to turn our eyes towards the one who created us, and they should lead us to awe and to wonder and worship at his greatness. That's the entire point of the Bible. It's the entire point of existence itself, that all creation was made by and for God. And so as we look today, we continue to look at creation. Uh, We're looking at the second half of the sixth day of the creation story. And so last week, we looked at how God created the lights, and he created the seas and the mountains and the plants and trees, and he gave us chicken so we could have chicken nuggets, and like we, uh, we had fish and birds and all sorts of things that were created. And we see here at at the very end of the creation story, God creates humans. He creates people. And he creates us, and this type of creation stands out as special because we see the word at the very beginning of verse 26, it says, then. So there have been all like several times where it said, and God said, and God created, and it says, then. This is meant to grab our attention that something new, something special is about to happen. Then God said, let us make man or humans in our image. As if everything before this in the creation story has been building towards this crescendo, been building towards this moment that there's going to be a unique creation that the rest of creation exists for. And we see the special attention that God gives to this because every other creative act that God does in Genesis chapter 1, it says, and God said, and then let there be whatever, and it happened. But you see a special care as it says, let us make man in our image. Let us make man. Let us take time and care in this special piece of creation. And so we see that people are the pinnacle of God's creation. We're the very zenith, the very point of creation that God is pointing us towards himself through people. And we see in verse 31, we see that God created all of this and he said it was very work of art. You tend to think about that title, or if you see it, you tend to think of the artist. So there's a, I'm going to show you something on the screen, and if you saw this, if you know art, you immediately thought, what? Van Gogh. This is Starry Night. Now, Van Gogh pa- painted a number of other paintings, but this is the one thing that we would consider his magnum opus. This is the painting that we would look at and say, this is 
Van Gogh. If you know nothing else about Van Gogh, you think about Starry Night. You can do this with anybody. You can be Walt Whitman and Leaves of Grass or Johnny Cash and the At Folsom Prison album, uh, Prince and Purple Rain. Whatever your thing is, you can think of someone and you can imagine what their magnum opus would be. It's important because of the impact that it has, but also what it says about the creator. What we need to understand is that you and I as people are God's magnum opus. We are his masterpiece. We are the ones that are pointing to him more than any other aspect of creation. We are to show who God is and what he has done and what he is like. And that's why in verse 26, we see that God did not create the plants or the trees or the sun or the mountains. In his image, he created you and I in his image, in his likeness, to show him in a unique and a special way. And this is what we call being made in the image of God. And what's wrapped up in this idea of the image of God is this, is what does it mean to be a human? What does it mean to be a human being? So let's unpack this idea of what is the image of God and why it impacts who we, how we see ourselves as people. The first thing we see is that being made in the image of God is about representing God. We are a representation of who God is. Now, a representation is not the actual thing, right? A representation is simply a depiction of what that thing is like. You and I are a picture or a representation of who God is. Now, this idea of the image of God, the image language, would have been very familiar to the people who were reading this. In the ancient world, in Mesopotamia, in the Near East, um, they would use this terminology to describe royalty. So if you were a king um, or you were an emperor, you would be someone who people would look at and say, this person has value. This person has worth. This person has importance. And we see this type of imagery even in our own culture when you go on Instagram or TikTok and you see that little blue check. We see the number of followers that someone has. And it's this stamp of approval that says, you matter, you have value, you have worth, you have dignity. But the Bible is making a really radical claim. And what the Bible is telling us is not just kings or princes or TikTok stars have value or worth. It's saying that every single person who has ever been born, who has ever created, as Psalm 139 says, knit in their mother's womb has value and worth and dignity as someone created in the image of God. Every single one of us, not not royalty, not, not, not how useful you are, not the, your utility, not what you bring to the table, but simply because God created you, you have inherent value. And this has massive implications for the way that we live. This has massive implica- implications in the way that we value life or, or ethics or, or justice or race. All of these things are impacted by our understanding that every single person has value. And because of this, God has set us apart from all creation to represent him to to the entire world. And this representation is meant to look as much as possible like the real thing, to look as much as possible like God. And so in the ancient world, a representation would oftentimes be like a coin or a stone. And what that coin or, or, or a statue, and what that coin or that statue would do is it would signify to everybody who came across them who was in charge. If you were in the Roman Empire and you were to get Caesar's coin, it was a reminder that Caesar was the one in charge. 
And so what God is doing is he's molding and he's shaping us to look more and more like him so more and more people see what he's like. Romans chapter 8 verse 29 says, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers, wanting us to look like Jesus. So we represent God, but we also reflect God. As people made in the image of God, we reflect who God is, and we reflect this in the way that we live, the way that we think. We reflect this in our character. We reflect that we have a good God who is our Father, and we're His children, and we should remind people of what our Father looks like. I got told all the time as a kid that I looked and acted like my dad. Um, and if you ever see a picture of me, I'm a much paler version of my dad, uh, but I look like my dad. Um, and so as we, as we think about that, I, I look like my dad. And, and some, some things are very clear. Some things are very clear. Um, I, we have very similar facial features. Um, we have a very similar voice. As I was growing up and got a little bass in my chest, I'd answer the phone and people would think, oh man, you're, you're, you're Gerald. And I'm like, no, I'm not Gerald. Um, I, all the little sayings that my dad would say um, little sayings that my dad would say, I repeat. Um, I would repeat things like, my dad would always have this weird saying like, there are ducks on the pond, which if you've ever played baseball, that just means the bases are loaded. And uh, I would say, he would say that randomly about anything important. You know, like, ducks are on the pond, you gotta focus. I caught myself saying that. I'm a very strange mix of stern and silly. That was my, my dad too. Like my dad was very stern or like very silly. And I'm the same way. I'm very serious or I'm like putting things on my head. Like I, I that's, that's me. Um, I repeat information a lot. My dad did the same thing. He'd repeat information all the time. Um, I will fall asleep if you come to my house. Uh, my dad did the same thing. If it's about 8.30, I just start to fade. And if, if you've ever been to my house enough times, you've seen that moment where I just start going to sleep. It's, it's automatic. It's not you. Um, other things are just, I don't even know that I do them. Um, sometimes it's mannerisms that I, that I have. Um, you know, I, th- my wife told me this week, she said, there's a smile you get on your face right before you're about to tell a joke. It's the same thing your dad would do. In the same way, we reflect God in ways we see and that we don't see. We reflect God in our ability to create, our ability to work. We, we reflect God in the fact that we appreciate beauty. We reflect God in the fact that we're moral people, that we have ethics. And you ever wonder why we are ethical people, why we make good choices and do things we think are right? It's because God, had, that's ingrained in us to be like God. The fact that we know things and want to pursue knowledge or improve and the fact that we, um, you know, that we want to be better people is rooted in the fact that there is a standard of goodness and right out there. We have any sort of purpose or mission, but the way that we reflect God more than anything else is that our ability to love, our capacity to love other people. And if we live in a world where it is simply survival of the fittest and you do you and you get yours and I'm all out for number one, there is no reason for you and I to love other people. The fact that we would be willing to sacrifice, we'd be willing to lay down our needs for other people means that other people have value as God has created them. So we're meant to represent God, we're meant to reflect God, but we also see that we're made in God's image in the fact that we're relational people. Notice in verse 26, it says, let us make God in our image after our likeness. Now, who is God talking to? Some people thought maybe he's talking to the angels, but God is actually talking to himself. 
Now, if you or I were to talk to ourselves, people would think we're a little weird. Uh, but in the Bible, God is described as a plural. The word for God here is the word Elohim, which is a plural name used in a singular way. So all the, the, the verbs here are singular. We see the picture of God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, united as one, united, but also unique. So there's this one God in three persons, this community who's, who is God. And so what does this tell us about God? What does this tell us about God? God's never been alone. There's never been a moment where God has been by himself. It's really bad theology to think, you know, people said this about creation. God was just lonely and he needed somebody to share creation with. God has never been lonely one minute of, of, of eternity. God has always had this loving community between Father, Son, and Spirit. And what this means is that there's been this perfect expression of love between them. And what it means for us is that God created us not because he was lonely, but because he wanted people to experience the love the Father, the Son, and the Spirit have had for all eternity. He wanted us to know that same joy as his creation and to spread that love and that joy to all the world. It also means that you are not meant to be alone. The fact that you're here this morning even is this is declaration that you need friends, you need relationships, you need people to help you grow. We are meant for intimacy and we, and we flourish when we seek to love others as Christ has loved us. And lastly, we see that we're made in God's image in the fact that we have a requirement. There, there's a responsibility that we've been given as people who live on earth, as humans. We're given these, they're just part of being human. You really just can't do what you want to do whenever you want to do it. If, for example, if Mayor Wu was to say, I want you to fix the tea, which Godspeed, may the odds ever be in your favor if you get that job. Um, if she just says, you are going to fix the tea and you're my representative, and, and maybe the goals were to make it more equitable, to make it safe, you know, you can't redesign the orange line so you have a shorter commute, you don't get to just do whatever you want to do because you're now a representative of the city of Boston looking out for the good and welfare of every citizen in the city. In the same way, you and I have been given commands from God to treat the world in a certain way for the good of other people. And that's part of being made in his image. And everything that we're called to do is to extend and to magnify his interests, not our own. And that's why the word dominion is given. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. You and I have been given a dominion, a responsibility, a requirement to reflect God on how we treat the world. And so he's placed us in creation to be over creation. And this responsibility and this care extends to the world. Uh, uh, chapter, uh, Psalm chapter 8, verses 5 through 9 tell us, Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the sea. O Lord, our God, how majestic is your name in all the earth. So we see that this dominion, this responsibility, this care is meant to help us magnify God, to glorify him. So being made in the image of God means we represent him, we reflect him, we are relational, and we have a requirement to be responsible for the world. So second, the second big idea is what are the implications of that? What does that mean for how we relate to the world? 
Firstly, it changes how we relate to God. Our life is found in him alone. And so if we're made after his likeness, if we're made to represent him, then that means the way that you and I are gonna flourish best, the way that we're gonna get through this life best is if we look like him the most. First John talks about how the light causes darkness to fade. And what happens is when you have more light and you're able to see, you're able to see the way that you're called to, to live. The more that we look like God, the more that we're living according to how God has designed us. And this leads us to flourishing. This leads us to life. And that's why we're restless when we aren't living like God has called us to live. And a good sign that God is beginning to work in your life. So let's say you're here this morning and you're not a follower of Jesus. Or let's say this morning you're a brand new follower of Jesus. A great sign that God is working in you is you're starting to feel restless. You're starting to feel convicted. You're starting to feel things. You're like, man, I didn't feel bad about that before. And like, man, I thought I had purpose in this thing, but I'm starting to see that it actually doesn't fulfill me. That's actually God calling you home. That's actually God saying, I wanna help you find real fulfillment. I wanna help you find real joy. I wanna help you find real rest and real peace. David McConey says that relating to God as the image of God is this, it's coming to live in total and perfect union with God. And so the image of God, we can think of it this way, is, is it kind of becomes a way to calibrate our lives. For us to look, we, we need to have a target. We need to be aiming at something. And so when we think about our hearts or our desires or the things we pursue, our choices, we're not just wandering through life aimlessly. We're looking at who God is and we're saying, how can I adjust and shift and calibrate my life so that it reflects the goodness of God? And it causes us to look at our life and to look at our choices and maybe we'll say, you know, like, you know, I might really want to do that, but it's not pleasing to God. I, I might desire that, but God, I want to desire you more. I, I might be scared to make this choice or to make this change, but God, I know that you're good. And if you're calling me to do this, I trust you. That, that's your life being calibrated towards him. So what are the areas of your life that you're not living in relation to God of who he's created, who he's created you to be? Not just that, but where are you seeing fruit? Maybe think back over the last year. Where are you seeing God create godliness in you? Where are you helping him? Where is he, where is he are you seeing some change in your life? It changes how we affect, relate to God, but also how you relate to yourself and others. If every, and it seems like a crazy thing to say, you shouldn't have to say this, but if every person has value, do you know who that means has value? You. You matter. I remember growing up in school and we were always talking about self-esteem. Low self-esteem was the root of all problems and you just need to have higher self-esteem. And there's something about that that's true. You and I have value. And I think sometimes in church we do this, we talk a lot about our sin and we should because we need to be reconciled to God. But just because you've sinned doesn't mean you don't have value. You still matter. You matter to God. You matter to other people. And because you're made in the image of God, this has huge implications for how we treat each other. Have you ever considered why you're ever nice to anyone? Ever, like ever, like have you ever considered that? There, there's, again, there's no evolutionary reason we should be nice to each other. There, there's no real basis for it. And the thing is, is if we don't have a reason beyond us for why we're kind to each other, why we treat each other well, why we seek each other's good, we're just drawing an arbitrary line. And oftentimes it comes to, well, how useful is someone? 
How smart are they? What do I get from them? Or what, what do they contribute to society? And, and it's not our complexity that makes us valuable. It's not how useful we are that makes us valuable because gold and a Twinkie, gold is not very complex. It is one element. A Twinkie is extremely complex and we're still discovering what is in it. And it will never, it will never degrade. I mean, but a Twinkie is worth a lot less than gold. It doesn't matter how complex you are. It's the inherent value and material that God has created you to be. Despite your choices, despite your background, despite how much money you make or the culture you come from, you matter. It affects how we treat each other. Love this quote from C.S. Lewis. He says, there are no ordinary people. Let that sink in. There are no ordinary people. You've never talked to mere mortals, to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, art, civilization, these are mortal, and their life is to ours as the life of a gnat. But it is immortals whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub, and exploit, immortal horrors or everlasting splendors. When you talk to another person, you're talking to somebody who God created to live for eternity. And this changes the way that we relate to each other. It changes the way that we treat each other before we open our mouth and say a cruel or demeaning word. It gives incredible hope for a world where we see the the vulnerable and the oppressed being taken advantage of. And it gives us the, the push to seek justice for those who are made in the image of God and run toward the hurting and the broken and the exploited. It also affects how we relate to each other as men and women. And this gives some key insight as what it mean, of what it means to be male and female. And we're going to get more into this in, in Genesis chapter 2. But the whole person, all that you are, is wrapped up in the image of God, your body and your soul. Gracie Lynn Hansen and Greg Allison talked about this idea that you can't separate the body, what's material, from your being, your soul, what's immaterial. All of this is wrapped up in who you are, and we see a very specific way that God created us here in Genesis chapter 1. Very specifically, it says in verse 27, so God created man, which was says man there, I was talking about humanity, people. In his own image, in the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. God created us male and female, and so what this means, if, you, if you're embodying this as a particular gender, as a male or a female, it means everything you do as a man is masculine. Not, it's not the things you do that make you a man. It's who God created you to be. In the same way, if you're a woman, everything you do as a woman is feminine. It's not the role that you fulfill that makes you a woman. There are no male or female tasks. That is culturally uh, a cultural construct. But everything you do is as a male or a female. And it means that whether you're male or whether you're female, you have full dignity, value, and worth in embodying this as a man or a woman. And so both male and female are equally made in the image of God, but distinct and differently so. Men and women are created differently. And and, I mean, physiologically, men and women are different. Our, our, Our center of gravity is different. There's a Love this video. It's my favorite example of this. There's a video on, on TikTok and Instagram. It was, it was like the center of gravity challenge. I don't know if you've seen this. They had men and women, they get side by side, they get like in a plank and they get like all, all, all fours and they would be like this. And on the count of three, they would put their arms behind their back and every single time the woman would be able to hold her core up and every single time the man would go face first into the ground. And it didn't matter how strong they were, it didn't matter how old they were, it didn't matter what kind of ab muscles they had, Every single time, the woman's center of gravity was just different than the man's, and he would just face plant into the ground. I, Amy tried to get me to try it. We didn't do it. 
just we're, we're physiologically different. Psychologically, we, we, we think differently. We, uh, girls typically advance faster than boys. They, they, they grow mentally faster than boys. Amen, I got four daughters. I can tell you the truth on that. It's not better or worse. We're just beautifully different. And so if, whether you're male or female, you're inherently and independently made in the image of God. And so this means that it's not the role that you fulfill. It's not getting married that makes you in the image of God. But as Gracie Lynn Hansen says, gender pervades every aspect of human existence. Everything you do is as, 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 as your gender. But I want you to notice the way that the mandate is, is worded. It's mandated that we cultivate the world together. That both male and female are required to work side by side. And this is not just about marriage. And we're going to get to marriage in a couple of weeks. But this is about friendship, about men and women having healthy friendships. This is about men and women working side by side together in the church to the glory of God. This is about mutually encouraging each other to step into the gifting and the calling that God has designed us for. Amy, my wife, is our women's director of discipleship and care, and she was actually writing a description of what she did. She kept going back, like she kept scratching it out, and began to actually foster this idea of how we work together. And she spent a lot of time, and this has informed our theology as a church on how men and women interact and work together. So what are the ways that God has uniquely created you to glorify him? What are, what are some of the cultural lies about gender, either your gender or, or the opposite gender, that you're buying into? And in what ways do you see God beautifully using you as, as he created you as a man or a woman? Being in the image of God also affects how we relate to creation. We are responsible for how we use it. We got into this a little bit earlier, but Psalm 115 says, the heavens are the Lord's heavens, but the earth he has given to the children of, men, of man. We don't exploit creation. We, in verse 28, it says that we subdue it and have dominion over it. This is the idea of taking what's there and manipulating it and changing it and, and, and creatively using it for other people's good. And we see this, this subduing and this dominion can't be something negative because the words right before it were be fruitful and multiply. You can't be fruitful and multiply and just raise the earth to the ground. So it's not talking about that. It's talking about using it in such a way that we take all the things that God has created and using it for other people's good. Very specifically here is talking about food. Every green plant that was on the earth was to be cultivated and grown, seeds planted so that other people could eat. And for us, this has a direct tie to how we work and we use the things that God has put in the world for the good of other people. So our job is to take all of these things and reshape them so people thrive. And so imagine if you're a teacher, you're taking ideas that God has given us and you're helping other people think through them. If you're a builder or an engineer, you're taking material for, and, and reshaping it so that people's lives are easier. I, I'm fascinated by the way things are made. I saw this, this, uh, this video where they were building plastic uh, suitcases. And they would take this liquid plastic and it'd start to cool. And they put this little this, this thing and it'd pop it and it'd just pop into the shape of a suitcase. It was fascinating. I watched it like six times. I, I'm, I'm fascinated with how things are made. My brain doesn't work that way. We do these things for the good of other people. If you're, if you're in medicine or you're a doctor, you're taking things that have been created in the world so the, the world can flourish. If you're in retail, you're clothing people. If you're a parent, you're training up kids so that they can flourish in the world. And so what are you doing with how God has wired you, created you, the opportunities you've been given to help other people flourish? 
How are you cultivating and creating? How are you, what's one step that you could take in your work this week? Now, we hear all of this. We hear this idea of reflecting God in the world and representing him. And man, we can really love God and love each other and take care of the earth. We're gonna, everybody's just gonna be happy, right? But we look at the world we live in and we go, it doesn't look a lot like this. It doesn't look like the rosy picture that we just painted. And the question is, is why don't we live like that? We are a poor resemblance of our creator and, and how we live doesn't always do a very good job of showing him. So I want to show you a picture here on the screen. Um, and so many of you may know that on the right, that is Cristiano Ronaldo, one of the greatest soccer players to ever live. Um, and on the left is a bust that someone was supposed to make of Cristiano Ronaldo that they were gonna put. And, and people in, in Spain, just they practically worship the guy. And as they unveiled this, everybody goes, that looks nothing like Cristiano Ronaldo. And, and in fact, they had to like recommission the whole thing. And the guy, the, guy who, the guy who created it was devastated. He's like, what do you mean it doesn't look like him? I know it's kind of funny, but that's what we do when we try to reflect God in the world. We don't look like the perfect image on the right. We often look like the image on the left. And we see this and we wonder why in the world are we like this? Why do we treat each other horribly? Why, do, why, why is there racism in the world? Why, why are women and, and children abused? Why, why don't we work to cultivate the world for the good of others, but we tend to hoard and use it for our own gain, and it's what work gets out for us? We live these disjointed lives that don't re- point to the Father. And Genesis is going to play out all this brokenness in the coming weeks Well, we ask ourselves the question, why is the world like this? And really, why is my heart like this? It's because sin wrecked the world. And because of this, we are still made in the image of God, but the image of God in us is broken. And the image you need to think of is if the image of God is a reflection, like a mirror, it's like someone took a hammer and smashed a mirror. And all of a sudden, we look on the ground and there are shards of glass everywhere. And so the thing about that, when you think about those shards of glass, you can still see goodness and beauty and truth in the world. Because even if you hit that mirror and you looked on the ground, you would see a piece of your reflection. In the same way, even though we are broken, we reflect God's goodness in in the choices that we make. And even the way that the world's developing, if there were no sin in the world, we would have developed the world a lot faster. All of these things, even though we're broken, point to the goodness of our creator. But what they also show us is that we're broken. We're messed up. And it causes for us to have someone come and put that back together, even as we get a glimpse of it. And we see this in Jesus because God wants to restore us. Last week at the end of the service, I read Colossians 1.15. This is that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. And when we look at Jesus, we see what we're supposed to be like. God came into the world, took on humanity, and he shows us and reflects to us what we're supposed to be like. So when we look at Jesus, we look at his character, we look at his love, we look at his sacrifice, we see what you and I are supposed to be. We see how he perfectly loved God. We see how he loves us. We see how he perfectly sought for other people to flourish. And we most ultimately see this in the cross. Because if being made in the image of God is reflected most in our capacity to love other people, what greater love is there than one who would lay down his life for his friends? that Jesus would demonstrate love for us by paying for our sins on the cross so that you and I could be made whole and made right with God. And so this morning, what is the next step that you need to take towards Jesus? 
What needs to be made whole in your life? Maybe it's your view of yourself. Maybe you view yourself as somebody who's only worthy because of of your job and what you do. Maybe you view yourself only as worthy if you're in a relationship so that someone is loving you. Understand the worth you have before God. Maybe your view of others needs to change. Maybe you just tend to be a selfish person. You don't think about others, but you think about yourself or your view of the world and what God's created you to do. Or maybe this morning you need to just come to Jesus. You need to receive what Jesus has done for you and trust in him by faith. Let's pray.